Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden. Hey everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman. Welcome you to the 89th, count them, 89 uh, Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition call. Uh, we are, are, are live on Zoom and we are taped for by Progressive Radio Network show, which airs uh, Thursdays at 5 p.m. on the prn.live. Uh, we have 57 people with us and uh, we are just thrilled to be back. Next week, next week on the 90th call, we are going to change our name. We are going to become the Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition or the Gree Gree in honor of the Mardi Gras in, in New Orleans. Um, uh, our voodoo is with us. And, uh, and it's not just voodoo economics, as George H.W. Bush pointed out back in the era of Reagan. We have serious magic with us, and we are going to expand our discussions officially to include uh, discussions of the environment, and particularly green energy, and particularly the grotesque attack on rooftop solar. We want to point out that rooftop solar is essentially the, the, uh, the equivalent in democratizing energy uh, with paper ballots uh, in, in terms of our electoral democracy. So uh, we are, and today uh, we have uh, Ron Leonard, Tatanka, Wendy, um, uh, Danette, and others who are gonna, uh, toward the second hour, gonna go into the deep uh, discussion here, uh, the weeds or weed, as we say, um, uh, of renewable energy. So um, uh, it's a big deal, and we're gonna be expanding our horizon here uh, and it, by the way, this is April uh, and, uh, of 2022, and these calls started in April of 2020. So this is our second year, third year, going into our third year of doing these calls. We have some new people to welcome, but I want to run through the, um, the itinerary of our talk. We're going to start with um, uh, uh, BC and, and uh, Bruce uh, and Amaris uh, to discuss their Massive Change Network, which is a really important new um, uh, organizing effort. Uh, we're going to be joined, hopefully, by Andrea uh, Miller, who's going to take us deep into her fantastic organizing um, uh, 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 from the Center for Common Ground. We're going to introduce her to Laura Danley and others uh, who are organizing along a similar way. Uh, then we're going to uh, go <clears throat> really deep into the uh, uh, court battles now uh, 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 surrounding the, uh, the vote and upcoming vote in 2022, and especially uh, the astounding uh, chaos surrounding gerrymandering. Um, I mean, the court decisions are just all over the map. And we also have our constitutional legal expert, Joel Siegel, my co-convener with us to discuss, the and, and Wendy Lederman in Florida, to discuss uh, the Florida judge's decision, an astonishing decision to reintroduce preclearance into the dynamic of, of election protection here. Preclearance was allegedly done away with in the Shelby, horrible Shelby decision of 2013, but uh, uh, I, I'd love to meet this judge uh, who has very, shall we say, craftily reintroduced the whole dynamic uh, of preclearance, which could not be more important. 
to the whole dynamic of uh, 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 election protection. We're also going to talk uh, uh, about the nukes in Ukraine. Um, what happened has happened at Chernobyl is astounding. Many of you may know that the Russians have actually abandoned Chernobyl. It was uh, the first major uh, targets that they took over in their their death march to Kiev, and and um, they're, they're, um, you got to remember Chernobyl happened in 1986. And the, the troops marching around Chernobyl uh, got already immediately sick from radiation poisoning. I mean, it's astounding and, and to the uh, uh, extent that the Russians have left the place. We're also joined here by, since we're talking on radio, the great Dennis Bernstein um, of W. Uh, uh, KPFK, KPFA in Berkeley, his show um, uh, Flashpoints is now syndicated nationwide, and he's uh, as great a talk host as I've ever been on with, and I've been on with a lot of them. So Dennis, great to have you with us. So um, the radio audience, welcome. Our, our audience now are up to 61 people. Uh, glad to see everybody. And uh, that's the essential rundown, the, the travel guide. Uh, remember, um, uh, no fair, none of the four-letter words. You may not curse until we go off the recording in uh, about 85 minutes, uh, except in Yiddish. You are uh, allowed to um, uh, uh, utter obscenities in Yiddish on the presumption that many of our listeners uh, may not know uh, what you're saying. So uh, let's start off now. Uh, B.C. Williams, um, you are in Evanston, Illinois. You, with Bruce Mao and Amari, are uh, involved in a truly great organization called the Massive Change Network. We want to introduce you to and our listeners to that network. Can you tell what it's all about, please? Well, Harvey and everyone, thank you for the invitation to the, the Grigri. Uh, we're super excited to, to be here today. And um, yes, Massive Change Network uh, stemmed, it's about 15 years old. And uh, we looked at the world after having done a 20,000 square foot exhibition that traveled to three cities looking at the world of design. And from that world, we realized that if we we're going to solve the great challenges of today, we're going to actually have to look and think about design differently. And out of that, we created the Massive Change Network. And when we look at design, um, it used to be that everything was a subset of, you know, business and then you know economy and then culture etc and we really flipped it around to look at um, that life centered design is the center of everything that we do so when we look at a designed world and everything that we we touch is designed and um, that if things are poor or not working uh, as they should they can also be redesigned and that's the beautiful thing that we've uh, discovered and what we apply in our methodology so we really start from life at the center and a lot of the programs that your organization looks at it's um, how do we make the world better uh, using art science and technology to um, make the world more beautiful more habitable and to design new solutions and so with that we um, the show and the exhibition about the world of design. We had 10 design economies, so everything from education to technology to materials to building to the environment, etc. Uh, those are all design constructs. And the show is in um, Chicago, Vancouver, and Toronto. And uh, 
looking at the world of design and what we're capable of doing, it was based on the premise of uh, Arnold Toynbee, which is um, the 20th, 20th century uh, won't be remembered for war and destruction, but it will be remembered um, as the era when we dared to think of the welfare of all of human life as the great objective. And uh, Bruce was presenting and um, a young person, this was 15 years ago, said, well, you know, it's fine if you want to think about the welfare of human life as a great objective, but she said, just take out humans and put out all of life. And when we think about um, the welfare of all of life as, a, as an objective, we, that's the 21st century. And so when we look at that, we look at how we design everything, how we live, how we eat, how we sleep, how we grow, how we build communities together. And um, we look at it from the perspective of health. You can't have a healthy person in a toxic environment and you can't have um, healthy people in our, or a toxic environment with healthy people. So they really are um, symbiotic in that sense. And with that, we're actually working on a massive action program, which is to demonstrate through the world of art, science, and technology um, to show people that the world can and is getting better and to showcase the new technologies and the new solutions and a new way of living which is not unlike this program here, to ensure a better life, not only for today, but for future generations. And it sounds Pollyanna, um, but it's not. I think if you think about um, our energy, if you think about our health, if you think about our built environment, uh, all of that is a design construct, as well as our systems for democracy. So what's functioning and what's not functioning Right. We look at these as design problems that um, are there to be solved. Great. Um, uh, uh, do you want Amari? Uh, um, can we unmute you and Bruce? Amari, do you want to add to the, uh, what uh, BC has just said? Very, very excited to be here and to learn more and talk about how we can all work together. Excellent. Uh, and and uh, uh, Bruce, uh, do you want to tell us how we can get in touch with your organization and what you're <clears throat> Bruce Bowne? Yes, sure. Um, yeah, you can. Yeah, we're on on uh, on the you know, social media, of course, on LinkedIn and uh, uh, and also online at Massive Change Network. Um, but you know, we're I think BC really kind of summed it up. Um, you know, I started you know, 40 years ago as a designer. And uh, you know, I started in the Gutenberg era, <laughs> back when we were, we were still using hot metal type. Um, and back then, you really couldn't interrogate an image. You know, if you saw an image, that's what you saw. And you had to be the New York Times or you had to be an organization to really um, look through an image to try to see whether or not it was true. Um, but when you put, you know, a, a billion, you know, several billion of these devices together and you, and you network them, uh, you, you make the world a transparent place. And that transparency means that we can actually see what is going on in a way that, you know, uh, was never possible uh, before. Uh, and what that meant was that everything is communicating. 
Um, and that really is the new world. I mean, I think everyone on this call knows that, you know, we can see what's going on and we can, uh, you know, we can see what, what people are really up to. Uh, and that means that if you're, if you're, if what you're doing is not telling the story you want to tell, you have to redesign what you're doing. You know, we like to say, uh, just turn the sound off uh, and watch the action. Uh, and if, if that action isn't the story you want to tell, then we have to redesign it and, and make, it, make it true to who you want to be. Um, and that's really, you know, where we, uh, you know, what we, what we do. And, and, and that means, you know, designing everything from, you know, organizations to institutions to social movements. Uh, and all those things can be designed. And if you think about, you know, how do we get the outcomes that we want? The moment that you have an outcome that you want, you're a designer. Uh, and then the question is, are you a good designer? <clears throat> do you have good design tools? Do you have good design method to, to really get, you know, very precise in the outcome you want? Um, and that's really what we help people to do. We've developed methods and processes and tools uh, that we can help people do that. Um, and, you know, we've, we've designed, you know, social movements uh, in, in Guatemala uh, and a thousand year plan for the future of Mecca uh, and, and kind of every, everything in between. Well, if you can help us design a movement that will uh, win um, uh, a safe democracy and uh, get us to 100% renewables, uh, we're more than happy to have you on with us. Um, Amar, uh, BC, did you want to add something? And then Joel Siegel? Sure. So one of the things that um, we you know, we use sort of 24 principles and a methodology to look at, um, give us a global view of um, a project or a problem. And almost to a person or a client, um, you know, not only does everything communicate that you need to design it, but also really need to think about making the invisible visible. And that's the beauty of design. And so, you know, we realize that change is really hard to see. It's rather infinitesimal and that people think that nothing's happening or no one's doing anything. When in fact, uh, when you actually can tell the story, build the environment or share the picture, very quickly you come to see that there is more on the positive than there is on the negative. So that's the other part I'd like to add. Well, we need your skills. So we're glad to have you on board as part of Grigri here. And, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, please keep coming back. I, I put your, uh, I put your uh, uh, links and, and uh, <clears throat> contacts in the chat. Uh, it's really great. Uh, uh, Joel Siegel? Did you yeah, BC and Bruce Mao, welcome. Is Thank that you. Are you related to the Mao Mao Rebellion in Kenya at all? <laughs> no, nah, it's a bad joke. Um, <laughs> I think what we ought to do... <laughs> is use wind power to generate clean coal, clean nuclear and clean natural gas because they have no impact on global warming. Just kidding. So the question I want to ask is, I, I, I work on a movie called Sicko with Michael Moore back when I worked with the Congress because I felt like the Congress did not understand what it was like to be uninsured. I grew up uninsured. So I figured if we used art to explain the misery of being uninsured and then going to Europe to explain what it might look like, you know, to have a universe. Uh, I wish we'd gone to Canada, but that was not my choice. Um, <laughs> similarly, uh, Sluggo is writing a book uh, to update his book called Solar Topia. 
and we we brought in Professor Mark Jacobson. Do you know who Mark Jacobson is? No. no. Okay. Please, if you get a chance, just look up Mark Jacobson, the Solutions Project. Uh-huh. And what, what he did is he's written a plan for every state in America and every country in the world, which it's wind and solar plan. What I did is I took his work and I turned it into a, a federal bill to get us to 100% cleanable energy. Huh. The question I have is we have these kind of giants, corporations called uh, utility companies. Uh-huh. Now, where I live, it's Duke Energy. So in negotiations with them, uh, we just passed a, um, a plan in Charlotte, North Carolina for us to go to 100% cleanable energy and housing. Pub- I'm sorry, government buildings and housing. It was a real, real dogfight, but we won. But at the end of the day, is it not the case the utility companies are going to have a lot to do with wind? And would it make sense, as much as I don't want to say this and people may throw rotten eggs into my screen, I'm, <laughs> I'm just talking about real politics. Wouldn't there have to be some kind of federal incentives for these cartels to go from, you know, dirty energy to wind? And because and, we're not going to break up that monopoly anytime soon, because we in the on the left and the progressive movement, we don't have the lawyers to do that. But when I talked to them about federal subsidies to go to wind and solar, they said they would listen to that. But I was just curious, how does your work fit into their monopolies? So um, we, do you want to go, Bruce? Or should go ahead. Go? So we actually, um, part of it is look at the communication, the side from the activists on the one side, what is it that they need and they want. And on the other, we look at the um, energy companies, what they need and they want. And essentially, there's a piece of friction in the middle. And we realize, okay, well, let's figure out what everybody needs. The, we did some research. Um, and we recognize, okay, what's existential for the uh, gas, oil and gas majors, uh, the proven reserves. And once you understand that the proven reserves are a problem for them, it's like, okay, well, what could we do? So our job as designers, it's like, well, what could we do to um, replace that revenue net new? What are the design solutions that we could look at? So we actually came, um, uh, our team came up with a number of design solutions, which actually uh, doesn't apportion shame and blame, but actually has a way forward. And one of the things that we came to, which I think you would love to hear, well, you don't need um, a teams of lawyers, you do need some creativity and they actually need us to um, rewrite the policy that they had actually purchased or you know, had organized uh, decades ago to actually achieve you know, the whole thing with um, oil and gas. They're ready to actually unleash that. There's a huge, uh, they said, um, it's the largest purchase order in, Ameri- in, in history to actually undo what was done. And so I think we actually need grassroots and activist folks to actually petition um, at the municipal level and at the state level, and then eventually up to the federal level to actually uh, undo that and redo it to recreate the infrastructure that will actually uh, make our world better, safer, and you can get to 80%. We just learned this morning uh, using renewable energy for every household in America without having to change too much. Right. Just oh, fantastic. So we're going to work with you on Solartopia. Right. Um, That's what we need to do. 
and um, uh, we, we want to move ahead with that. So uh, we're glad to have you on board. Thank you so much. Uh, Steve uh, has a call, and then we're uh, uh, Andrea has not joined us. We're going to move ahead and get into the deep, deep insanity of what's going on with gerrymandering and the ballot over and this this latest uh, court decision in Florida, which is astounding and very good. Uh, Steve Caruso, did you want to jump in? Yes, they uh, last year produced a hundred kill uh, gigawatts of solar or not solar of wind, offshore wind last year. And one nuclear plant is one gigawatt. And this is 100 in one year. So, I mean, right. anybody that's thought about nuclear, is it, it just doesn't have a foot to stand with. I got to say that um, I had a letter, uh, there's a letter in Today's Nation magazine from a guy I've known for 40 years um, who is advocating keeping nuclear plants open. And I just dashed off a letter to the nation uh, I've been, I was writing for the nation in 1976 when the Clamshell Alliance started happening and uh, to fight nuclear power. And I, I wrote in, I wrote him an angry note. And, oh, there it is. There's my letter just published in the nation there. Um, <laughs> sorry, Charlie, your piece is inaccurate, irresponsible and insane. The letter I wrote to him personally was a little less polite, uh, but nonetheless, uh, you can look at this in the, uh, you know, this is coming from people who are advocating keeping nuclear plants uh, open. Uh, these people are not going to be paying uh, when, the, when Diablo Canyon blows up and uh, covers Los Angeles and radiation. So this is the fight we're facing. And we'll get back to this in a bit. Uh, I do want to jump in on, um, on the legalities. Uh, and thank you, uh, BC and, and Bruce and Amari, we're thrilled to have your organization with us, and we will certainly welcome you uh, to all future Greek Greek calls. So uh, uh, glad to have you aboard. Uh, Andrea Miller has not yet joined us, which is fine. We're going to move ahead. When she does, we'll give her the baton. But we want to talk now about the legalities of what's happening with gerrymandering. And, and, the lega and I have to say, um, and I want to talk to uh, uh, Ohio and to especially and to Florida uh, uh, that um, the gerrymandering situation in the United States today is complete chaos. You've got a situation now in Ohio, <laughs> and we want to we want to honor um, uh, uh, the the name of Maureen O'Connor. Maureen O'Connor is the Republican Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court. We've talked about this before. The Ohio Supreme Court is four to three Republican. The people of Ohio, and remember, we're talking about Ohio here. This is the ultimate swing state. The people of Ohio have voted twice to uh, change the system by which districts are drawn for the state legislature and the congressional delegation. Uh, the uh, Ohio is a 54-46 right now, uh, Republican versus Democrat. But the, um, the congressional delegation and the two houses of the state legislature are 75% Republican. And so the people of, of Ohio by more than 70% have twice voted to change how districts are drawn. And we went in, uh, people went in hopefully to this year's districting process. It's done every 10 years, uh, congruent with the census, which as we all know, the, the Trump administration 
played games with this year, uh, sa sabotaging a lot of the census and uh, eliminated people of color. Um, but, but nonetheless, we went into a districting process in Ohio, very hopeful that changes would be made. The Republicans uh, sabotaged the situation and made it even worse. Where we now, Ohio lost a congressional seat. So from 12 to four, a Republican to Democrat in a 56-44 or 54-46 state, uh, they now look like they've got it down to uh, 14 to, or 13 to two. They made it worse in the face of um, uh, the demand of the Ohio electorate to make it better. And so uh, they, they, the Republicans sent redrawn districts, um, these, these totally warped redrawn districts uh, to the Ohio Supreme Court, expecting a rubber stamp from the four to three majority. And instead, Maureen O'Connor, who you know deserves a Congressional Medal of Freedom. And uh, I like to say that if Jack Kennedy was rewriting Profiles in Courage, she'd get a chapter. She single-handedly has overturned four, count them, four attempts by the Republicans to completely uh, RF, as we say in polite company, uh, the, the, the redistricting process in Ohio as a result of her rejection, repeated rejection. Uh, well, it's gotten even wilder. Uh, she called for a censure vote um, uh, on the Republicans who've been resisting, these, this is her own party, who've been resisting the, re, the, the anti-gerrymandering laws, and it's the law. Uh, she called for a, a hearing to censure these guys, and, and the list of people to be censured includes the governor, Mike DeWine, because he's been a party to this. And it turns out, this is why I love history, his son is one of the Republicans on the Ohio Supreme Court. So his son has had to recuse himself from decisions on these, on these contempt hearings. <laughs> so once where they once had a four to three Republican majority, now they're losing uh, two to four because he's gone and she's holding the line. And as a result of this, Ohio <laughs> does not have districts to go into the 2022 election. People running for Congress do not know what district they're running in. It, it's amazing. And technically, the, the, uh, now Ohio apparently is pushing forward with primaries, um, uh, even though, uh, but they're not, they're not able to have primaries for the state house, for the state legislature and the congressional delegation. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. It, it's phenomenal. And um, uh, it's not clear what's gonna happen. It will probably go to the Supreme Court, US Supreme Court. Meanwhile, the Republicans, including the Republican Secretary of State are calling for Maureen O'Connor to be impeached. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got it. You can't. This is unbelievable stuff. Uh, Steve Caruso, you're in Columbus. You want to give us an update? Yeah, well, you just quoted what I was going to say. Yeah, there just recently over the weekend, um, the Secretary of State came out and said, yeah, that's fine. If you want to impeach the, the uh, judge, that's up to you. Um, these people are on board with the fascist Trumpers, and he's kind of gone. He's got two guys fighting against him that are 
Trump supporters. And so now I guess he thinks he needs to swing a little further to the right so he can get their votes too. But Right, right. Oh, you got all these Trump guys running for office. And of course, they've targeted the secretaries of state. Steve Bannon's plan to take over the electoral process in America um, is very, very um, strongly focused on ousting secretaries of state. We know it's happening in Georgia, a massive camp. They have an extreme right-wing secretary of state, but he's not right-wing enough uh, to, to, for the, the, the Trump Republicans. Now, this is going on all over the country. And um, in New York, for example, I don't know if we have any on, on Julie um, uh, uh, Weiner is often with us from New York, uh, where the, there's a Democrat gerrymandering that's gone on. And the courts are, are rejecting the Democratic gerrymandering in, George, in, in, in New York. In Alabama, we had a gerrymandering that occurred very clearly very explicitly to disenfranchise black people. I mean, there's just no hiding this. And um, uh, the Alabama Supreme Court threw it out and said, you can't do this um, as, a, um, as an obvious racist attack on the ability of black people to be represented. But it went to the US Supreme Court and the US Supreme Court overruled the Alabama Supreme Court, and reinstated the, um, uh, the racist gerrymandering. It's outrageous what they did. On the other hand, in North Carolina, uh, and Joel, you might want to speak to this, and I want to say, I can't remember which one, the Supreme Court upheld state Supreme Court rejections of Republican gerrymandering. So it's actually gotten to be nonpartisan, but it's not coherent. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. And we're, we are now, this is the United States of America in 2022. We're talking about major swing states here. We're now headed to a midterm election where you have major states that do not have settled congressional or state legislature districts. It's truly astounding. And uh, Florida is, is one of the states where it's wildest. And uh, Wendy and Joel, we have constitutional um, issues here. As I mentioned, a Florida judge has intervened now and reintroduced the concept of preclearance. Now, preclearance came with the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts of the 1960s. And they required that any change made by a state uh, that had a history of racial discrimination two election procedures had to be pre-cleared with the federal judicial, with the federal attorney general's office. Now in the 2013 Shelby decision, which Shelby versus Holder, which was written by John Roberts, the current chief justice who had a history, uh, as did Wenquist before him, of ele election discrimination, of preventing people of color from voting. The Shelby decision gutted the protective provisions of the Voting Rights Act and, and said the preclearance was no longer, no longer necessary because the United States has transcended race. <laughs> Mazel tov. We are, we're all really glad to hear that. And immediately, <laughs> you know, immediately after that decision, 
Uh, states all over the country started, well, especially in the South, of course, started uh, imposing uh, discriminatory laws into the electoral process. Uh, astonishingly blatant, you know, shameless, um, uh, racist uh, disenfranchisement across the map. Now, this judge in Florida, I don't know who it is. Maybe Wendy or Joel, you can speak to who this person is, this judge. Judge Walker, Mark Walker. Okay. He, he very clearly intended to reintroduce um, this whole process of preclearance. Clearly, it's going to go to the U.S. Supreme Court, and it will be very, very interesting to see what Judge Roberts says this time around. So Joel is a constitutional lawyer, and Wendy, as a, a Florida resident, uh, uh, it's, it's all yours. Tell us what you know, please. Sure. Um, you, you did a great job, Sluggo, um, of explaining. I'll just go through the kind of the, you know, the decision and what the ramifications of the decision are. So the, it's a federal judge in Florida, Judge Mark E. Walker, is real hero. I think there should be a statute erected in his honor. Um, so this is a federal district court in Tallahassee. So this is the first time that a federal court has struck down major elements of a wave of voting laws enacted by Republicans since the 2020 election. And what the judge found was there was a pattern of racial bias. Um, surprise, surprise, right? Florida racial <laughs> bias. But there were yeah, there were numerous voter restriction laws that were passed in Florida, uh, you know, limiting uh, basic fundamental rights like early voting, et cetera. And make a very long story very short, <clears throat> what, what this very clever judge did is he took section three of the 1965 Civil Rights Act, uh, which Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement bled and marched and died for. And they, they put Florida under federal restrictions. So it's called bail-in for all you legal nerds out here. Um, and a bail-in, it, it allows judges to impose additional federal oversight of election law if states or local governments are found to be repeat offenders in racial discrimination cases. So all this means now is that while the ruling is intact, the state legislature passes any kind of law that impacts, you know, communities of color, there has to be what's called preclearance. The judge has to preclear that law. Right now, that law, the Florida law has been struck down. Sadly, you know, the Republican judges on the circuit court most likely are probably going to say, you know what, um, we're going to overrule the federal court and it will probably go to the Supreme Court. Now, what was interesting in the ruling was how many times the judge uh, used language from Martin Luther King's speeches. So the pattern of discrimination in Florida against black voters is it's, it's clear, a clear and present danger. What's scary to me is you can be a, a judge and, and have a little Klan suit on, you know, remember the little, little hats? <laughs> and um, you know, I've lobbied and worked in the North Carolina General, General Assembly since I was in law school. I don't see any difference between a Klan member and many of these judges and 
lawyers, just because you wear a suit and tie and have the word judge, that doesn't mean anything. There are, there are white nationalists all over the courts and all over the general assemblies. They could care less about, let, let me tell you what one Florida, not Florida state legislature said about blacks. They said they were lazy, that if they didn't go vote. They were lazy. Have we ever heard that one before? Lazy. Now, this should make everyone completely furious. Um, but the reason why this is important is because the bail-in provision can be used across the country. So this sets up, you know, kind of a friction and, and legal tension between, you know, progressive judges, you know, and, and federal courts across the country and the Supreme Court. So this is a very, very significant courageous decision. That's basically what we have. It really, what all the judge did was he's implementing the 65 Civil Rights Act pre-clearance and not waiting for any bills in Congress to pass to restore it. It's an ingenious legal theories that what, you know, what they're employing, but that's basically it. There's, you know, a chance for progress here. I'll posit in conclusion, without a grassroots movement, similar to the 65 Civil Rights Movement, pushing up against these terrible, you know, voter suppression laws, we're not going to do too much. You, you cannot give due deference and respect to, to white nationalism, whether, you know, they're issued in a court of law or state legislature. I think we're going to have to use civil disobedience, uh, protest, um, boycotts, or we're not going to change this. You, you can't let the courts decide under their own volition about voting rights because we've already given them a chance and they, they failed us over and over again. They, they, you know, there's a, there's a law, <laughs> there's a theory of law called strict, strict construction, where a judge is supposed to apply the law to the facts. That's not happening. They're applying the law to their political ideology and that's to keep rich white guys in power. And they'll do anything they can to do that. So that's, that's pretty much it. Very good. Uh, thank you, Judge. Um, uh, Wendy Lederman, can we unmute you? You're in Florida. Um, can you report on what's going on there? Thank you. Um, you know, and, um, I'm sorry to say I've been moving and in transition all week and I haven't really been keeping up. And now what's actually disturbing kind of is like looking for more information. I saw that Mike put something in the um, chat and um. I can barely find any information on this, like local news, national, like I'm not like just looking now, like, and so I think that that's a huge part of it too, is see, from my experience in Florida, just in general with the legal system and um, going through, I'll say for, for the case of evictions, but basically it's a war on the poor where there's such a culture of corruption and extortion that's so fluent and casual in the Florida court system in general, that is not written about by the press. So that might be something um, to just look at is that simple angle is that, you know, it's like, you know, I'm from Broward, so we're the most democratic um, county here, but, and, and South Florida and North Central Florida, like that there, it's like two different states. So that's to keep in mind too, from like the local point of view. But I mean, we're definitely known to have racism throughout seeping. I mean, we're the South, but um, but a big part of it is that like right now, I'm like barely finding if Mike could, if I didn't see it, then if Mike could maybe post that article, because no, I haven't, I haven't really heard anything about it. I'm learning about it mostly from you and I'm embarrassed to say like this, this new thing. And, um, 
And I just, I don't know if anybody um, mentioned, I just want to throw in today is April 4th and um, it's Martin Luther King and um, just yes. ironic that we're here still honoring legacy and fighting for this. So um, that's basically my input is that we just need to get the public informed because this and like the utility monopoly, like the sentiment and the support is there from the public. They just don't have anything to get behind and they don't know that it's happening. So that's sorry, yeah. that's the best I can, you know. It's, it's perfectly great. Thank you, Wendy. We're gonna come back to you when we talk about solar in Florida, uh, simultaneously, of course, the uh, Republicans in, in Florida trying to kill uh, rooftop solar there. We're going to hear from Ron Leonard and others about that as we proceed. So this uh, legal situation is really intriguing. Um, uh, the, the gerrymandering thing, I mean, we're only, it's April. And as you say, it is unfortunately the anniversary of the killing of Martin Luther King. And I just read a major article uh, 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 last night about linking uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, there's still quite a bit of evidence that J. Edgar Hoover ordered the killing of Martin Luther King. And, um, you know, someday maybe we'll find out exactly who did it. I guarantee you, I will guarantee you three things in honor of this anniversary. James Earl Ray did not kill Martin Luther King. Lee Oswald did not kill Jack Kennedy. And Sirhan Sirhan did not kill Bobby Kennedy. So three small details there, but um, the legalities now of this situation are immensely impactful. This is the kind of thing these, these calls were designed to deal with. Uh, we have th this decision from this judge, this is a federal judge, and th this decision will go to the Supreme Court. They will, I predict on Joel, I'll get in a minute, you can confirm or deny what I'm gonna say here. I will guarantee you that the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court will delay a ruling on this until after midterm election. The last thing that John Roberts wants to talk about at this point in time is pre-clearance, which he single-handedly killed in, 19, in, in 2015. And at the same time, the utter chaos in the districting process um, is, is purely um, uh, third world. I mean, this is not something you would expect of an advanced country after 220 years of constitutional law. I mean, come on, this is 240 actually. I mean, this is just, this is unheard of. Uh, as a historian uh, on a federal level, I cannot find a single uh, uh, um, uh, equivalent precedent. Uh, to go in at this point in time to midterm elections without settled congressional districts, is insane. And and here we are, Joel, uh, Attorney uh, Siegel, did you want to? Yeah, uh, Wendy, Wendy is right, though, about lack of information. Uh, it's not going to be in the Florida papers. My mother lives in Florida. So she's right on time about that. Gee, I wonder why. But just I want to read two salient features. of Now, this is the New York Times article, Judge Rules Parts of Florida Voting Law Unconstitutional. And that was March the 31st, 2022. For the past 20 years, the majority in the Florida legislature has attacked the voting rights of its black constituents. Walker wrote in the decision, which frequently quoted Reverend Dr. King, Walker argued that the attacks were part of, quote, a cynical effort to suppress turnout among their opponents' supporters. That the law does not per permit. Now, this is really important. The ruling targets the portions of the law that limited the use of drop boxes that means in black neighborhoods. In other words, 
the Republican majority reduced the number of drop-off boxes in black neighborhoods. I don't think that's a hard stretch to say violate the 65 civil rights. Place strict rules on voter registration organizations and forbade some kinds of assistance to Floridians waiting in line to vote. So what they did in Florida uh, is they, they replicated the Georgia law, the pizza law, which said that you can't have organizations or people feeding those who, I don't know, waiting for three to four hours, this, you know, communist subversive drink called water. And, and, and uh, now for a judge to say that that's not discrimination, I would say we're going to have to get to the point where we start calling out these judges and asking them to recuse themselves and to resign from the bench. We're going to have to be way more activist than we ever have before. And we're going to have to embarrass them and shame them because they try to be legitimate by saying, oh, the, the, the judge in Florida was a Democrat and he was activist. No, he's trying to enforce law. But we got to start calling these judges out because we don't know who they are. We have to cut off whatever campaign contributions to them. But more importantly, we've got to boycott the states that are, where they're located in and not allow them to operate without, you know, with impunity. Anyway, that's it. Thanks. Very good. Tatanka and then, and then Steve in Ohio. Tatanka. Yeah, we're, we're at the stage now where we can't be shocked. This is a Steve, Bannon. we need to study, we need to have part of a program on Steve Bannon because he really sets out to make the government ungovernable. So it is in a chaotic position to be taken over. And, you know, it's, it's, no, it's no surprise and it's no shock to any of us that we keep quoting uh, Donald Trump said, um, if we let all Democrats vote, no Republican would win another election. So they're really focusing on a paper ballot without the ballot images. They will control the vote count, which is what Steve Bannon wants in these Republican states. And the, the goal is to return to a minority oligarchy, a white nationalist oligarchy. Very clear about it. And we had Nancy McLean on you know, a couple of weeks ago to talk about her book, Democracy in Chains. It's all there, their form of libertarianism, which you know praises liberty and private property at the expense of equality. So we need a strategy. We basically need a national um, massive, as, as Joel talked about early, nonviolent response, a disciplined nonviolent response to this as it comes up. So uh, we'll just say that we need to begin to have that discussion and have people on it who uh, have history with that and what works and what doesn't work. Um, me, BC and, and Bruce, you guys can help us design that strategy. Um, um, uh, Steve Caruso, then Lynn Feinerman. Yes, uh, LaRose, the Secretary of State here in Ohio, was saying that the election is now ongoing. So, Joel, what's the story? What's the phrase that they use when you can't put any rulings in place during an ongoing or close to an election? Oh, I couldn't hear the last part, Brother Steve. He's wondering, you know, the, the Supreme Court has shied away from getting involved in certain um, um, electoral nightmares by saying it's too close to election time. And then they turn around and, and in another case, go ahead and make a decision. They've been completely inconsistent. Uh, I think that the proper term, a legal term to de describe uh, those decisions is complete BS. That's 
that comes from uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Uh, uh, utter <laughs> nonsense. So, uh, you know, I don't know any, any way other to describe it unless you do, Joel. Uh, and then we'll uh, defer to Lynn Feinerman and then Wendy. Now, just briefly, the Supreme Court majority has been compromised by aligning themselves with the right wing Congress and, and operatives. It's real clear to me they should have never gutted preclearance. You know, Shelby versus Holder was a right wing political decision. I, I don't care what anyone says. I've been in this business. I'm from the South. I know a little bit about the right wing. Hillary Clinton was not wrong when she said there's a vast right wing conspiracy. Everybody laughed at her. I'm not laughing at her. She's right. But we don't we got to learn to call it out. And I think Tatanka is correct. We need some kind of a national strategy. But to say that, you know, you're not going to deal with uh, a Supreme Court case because it's too close to an election. There's elections all the time. So just don't have any Supreme Court decisions at all. I mean, it's a it's a nuanced, bogus argument it doesn't doesn't fly. It's nonsense. Oh, Lynn Feinerman and then Wendy and then Eric. Lynn Feinerman. Yeah, what I'm asked, what I'm asking here, and I, I totally agree with everything Joel just said, but um, all of these things seem to happen um, on short term and on short term notice. What I want to know is um, how are we going to stop their money? How are we going to end the money flow? And the money flow is coming from one great big fat spigot. It's called Charles Koch and Koch Industries. And yeah. so how do, we, how do we target that beast? Press conferences and marches. Yes, and the, uh, the, flip, side is, <laughs> the flip side is, and when An Andrea comes on maybe next week, is how do we get the Democrats to spend the money that they have on grassroots organizing instead of throwing it down the toilet on these ridiculous TV ads. The, the Democrats actually, as best I can tell, I may be wrong, uh, but I have seen um, indications that the Democrats actually have more money than the Republicans going into the midterms. But if we look at what they did with it in Virginia, um, uh, you know, they just threw it down the toilet. We won in, in, in um, Georgia, because some of the money at least went to grassroots organizing. But the Democrats, when they get money, they just waste it. Steve Bannon is, is crafty enough to know that if he pays uh, you know, uh, grassroots organizers to walk around with their guns, uh, you know, that he's gonna win. Uh, the Republican, the Democrats, even without the guns, don't just seem to have any kind of sense of that. Um, uh, uh, and thank you, Lynn, for that. Um, um, uh, Wendy, and then Eric, and then Tatanka. Wendy, you there? Oh, she's on mute. You're, asked, you're still on mute. Hold on. Wendy, you're there muted. There you go. Okay, go ahead. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, actually, this is um, just perfect uh, Perfect segue, because you guys are literally I mean, all. I just want to share some quick um, anecdotal um, experience from on the ground in Florida. Um, just basically proving the point that you can't trust the Democratic Party. Um, I shared this with the group when I first came on last year, but just for people who haven't heard, um, like I, we have DeSantis and Rick, Rick Scott for a senator because of the Democratic Party. Um, I can say that through the experience I had when I volunteered to um, oversee the recount um, during the election. And basically, like the, just to make a long story short, the Democrats 
I had to volunteer through the, the DNC and they made it impossible by changing the hours that volunteers could come in to ju just to watch the recount. And then they, when they, before the recount even happened, when they were, re when they were calling like um, divisional ballots and absentee ballots because they needed to check to verify something, they weren't keeping track of who had already been called. So people were getting called so many times, like to just verify their vote that they were literally like, like threatening me to call the police because they were being like harassed by by the, just basically um, being called so many times because there was no organization within the DNC, but they made it so that um, it was supposed to be like four or six hour shifts for 24 hours a day turned into 12 hour shifts for like um, 12, like 12 hours and not 24 hours. And um, it made it so that nobody could possibly volunteer. And I've seen it so that I've gone to check my polling place and it's changed like last minute and it's gone somewhere that there's no public transportation there, but you just, we can't rely on the DNC to be on our side with this. It has to be grassroots. It has to be independent and progressive. And right now the progressive name and independence is the only thing that can really has any merit to it because both sides perpetuate the status quo. And thank you guys. Appreciate it. Sorry for the noise and the bad signal. Thank you, Wendy. Um, uh, Eric Lazarus, and then we'll jump to uh, uh, Dennis and then Tatanka. Uh, Eric? Hey, quick point. I just put it into the chat. Um, I, good news is motivational, um, at least according to The Daily, which is the New York Times um, main uh, podcast. Um, there really is some wonderful electoral um, map news um, that people might not be aware of. Um, so it's a very heartening um, broadcast and a good reason to work harder. Um, for these actual elections. Um, thanks so much. It, it basically saying that a, a number of court decisions um, um, and uh, a number of things kind of came in the Democrats' favor. So getting Democrats elected should be somewhat easier um, well, than it would otherwise be. Thank you. Let's hope. Let's hope for that. Uh, Dennis and then Tatanka and then Justin. Dennis Bernstein, uh, host of Flashpoints. Uh, Dennis, you got to unmute, bro. Right. There you I'm go. unmuted. Okay. Yeah, go for it. So I just wanted to, um, you know, this might seem a little far afield, but I really wanted to throw this into this discussion. As we talk about this, and we're flabbergasted at what local and national governments and what the Supreme Court and the Senate, even the Democrats, will and will not do. And while people are horrified at what we already know, was Trump's plan. At this very moment, even as the United States goes deeper into the Ukraine war, they are busy trying to overthrow the government to undermine, destabilize the government of Pakistan, the duly constituted government of Pakistan, because Joe Biden and the US feels that they're too friendly with India and with China and with Russia. So uh, once again, the United States ignoring as it did undermining the Russian government and the elections that brought us Yeltsin and then Putin. They're now, even though they're declaring this, this demon in Russia, they're trying to destabilize Harvey a nuclear power. So I just want to put that into the mix when we worry about digging nuclear trenches uh, uh, around Chernobyl, all these horrific things. 
the United States continues a policy that contributes to the dangers we now face. So we lose our ability to elect people in this country while the United States destabilizes other governments. I, I just want to put that in when we're thinking about election and election fairness and what it means. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Putin is in power in Russia because the CIA put him there. And um, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that India and Pakistan are on good terms with each other. We almost had a, war, a nuclear war. Did I understand that correctly? Dennis, go ahead. Sorry. Got to unmute you. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, go ahead, Dennis. He's muted. Can we unmute Dennis? Uh, we'll come back to you, Dennis. Okay. Can you get me now? You yeah, got yeah. me now? Yes. So I, I didn't say that India and Pakistan were good friends. I'm saying there's a government in Pakistan now that's, if you will, just to put it in gross terms, open to do business with China and Russia and whoever in the world they choose to. The United States does not like that, particularly now. So they're willing, in the midst of a very fragile moment in history, they're willing to go for another destabilization. Talking about elections, I'm just putting that into context when we think about what's happening and the, you know, what's happening to the power of the people to vote. For okay. The they want. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, this, this is the uh, Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. This is our uh, 89th. Uh, next week will be the Green, Green, Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition. Thank you, Dennis Bernstein, host of Flashpoints at Thank you. APFA, nationally syndicated. Um, and uh, we're going to continue with this. This is, this is the core of what we do here. And then uh, we will get into the fight over rooftop solar uh, after this. Uh, Tatanka, Justin, and Mary. Uh, Tatanka, back to you. Uh, and then Justin LeBlanc and Mary Butler Stonewall. Yeah, thank you, Dennis, for, for bringing that context in. Uh, we may be at the stage where the, uh, um, it's maybe what a major power, our country, uh, that really wants hegemonic control, uh, full spectrum dominance is the military policy that came out, you know, in 91 after the, the fall of the Soviet Union, instead of making peace, just like, you know, the decision at the end of World War II to make them an enemy rather than some, an ally. We have come to the, the place now where we have the, the effect of, in our climate change, uh, an entire political party, the Republican Party, bought by big oil and through, through the efforts of the Koch brothers, and I appreciate the person bringing that up. I know in California, with our strategy over three years uh, of eliminating three years of bills, our first one is the Senate Bill 1230 on electrification of light vehicles and of uh, cars and light trucks, because 40% of the emissions of California are from transportation. We aim to have within three years time, seven different sectors, including agriculture and water, et cetera, to California to zero carbon, by 2030. So in addition to the top-down strategy of a bill, the bottom-up building a coalition, um, Danny Sheehan has written up and has not yet introduced to Rob Bond to the Attorney General, 
but is using because we we the United States has prided itself as being a nation of um, of law, and the civil rights movement was to implement the uh, a law that of uh, equality in voting, and. So the use of the RICO Act, which uh, Danny and, and Sarah used. Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden. 